We're going to continue our series in the book of Revelation. We have a, a man who needs very little introduction, and I have very little time to give him an introduction. So let me just welcome Vauta, somebody who really serves us well, who's going to preach the next series on Revelation. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. I'm going to start us off with a little fact. Did you know that one of the longest running TV shows at the BBC since 1979, with 41 seasons, has been... The Antiques Roadshow. Hands up if you watched that on a rainy afternoon once. Well, I have. I'm not a huge fan of antiques, but my dad is. And uh, he once went to the Dutch equivalent of one of these shows with some of his paintings that he had. And uh, he lined up and started to hope that he may have some treasure in his possession. But then uh, the eyes of the expert quickly dethroned his hopes because it turned out he was holding counterfeits. They were not the real deal. They looked impressive, but they were not. Well, I don't have much knowledge about antiques. In fact, 95% uh, of my house is filled with IKEA stuff. But uh, sometimes in life, I wonder what is real and what is not. I'm looking for the real deal. I'm looking for friends who are the real deal, who will stick with me through thick and thin. Uh, I'm looking for investments that are real, things that I can rely on, relationships that I can build that will last. Um, and at the same time, sometimes uh, I try to wonder about my faith. What is real and what isn't? Because we often can't see everything at play. I wish I could just have a little peek behind the curtains of heaven to understand how it all works. Well, we've arrived at chapter 13 and chapter 14 of Revelation, and we're going to be getting a little peek behind the curtains of heaven to see what's going on. We're going to find out about the real deal. Chapter 13, we're going to see Satan for what he's really like. And then in chapter 14, we're going to be seeing the Lamb of God, Jesus, for what he is really like. And the two images are conflicting. We can see that Satan is a deceiver. He's a counterfeit. He looks like the real deal, but he's not. He tries to intimidate and entice people, but it's only the Lamb of God that will conquer forever. Well, in chapter 13, we can see some bizarre images. We can see the dragon from chapter 12 um, that depicts Satan standing on the shore of the sea. And there's a, a, a second beast. Uh, well, actually, it's the first beast in chapter 13 coming out from the sea and has 10 horns and seven heads. And is kind of a mixture between a leopard, a bear and a lion. Uh, we can recognize those images from Daniel 7. Uh, where Daniel talks about four different kingdoms that are depicted as four beasts. And these, uh, this beast is almost all, all these beasts combined. And what we can see is that they represent the kingdoms of the earth. And then we can see that uh, one of the heads of the beast has a fatal wound uh, that has been healed, and therefore people worship the beast. Now, this is obviously uh, a very much a counterfeit of Jesus who died and then rose again. Satan is somebody who tries to impress and tries to copy what Jesus is doing, but uh, uh, not so successfully in the long run. But many people are deceived. And we can then see that uh, a second beast is created. This is the beast of the earth. And this beast uh, uh, has two horns like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. Uh, it exercises authority on uh, behalf of the first beast. And it leads many people away and it performs signs and wonders, even causing fire to come from heaven, which echoes uh, familiar language from the Old Testament, where Elijah, the true prophet of God, brings um, uh, fire from heaven. And then we can see that uh, uh, he gives 
arise to an image that's been set up that uh, lures people away. And then we can see that the people uh, that follow the beast are marked by a mark on their heads and on their hands, um, uh, which sounds familiar to the seal that 144,000 earlier in Revelation, those who follow God, received. But this is not a seal. They are not being kept safe under God's protection. This is a mark, a mark of the beast on their hands and their foreheads. Their, their thinking and their actions are marked by him. And then it says, the final verses of, of chapter 13, that um, there is some insight needed that the number of the beast is 666, the number of man. Now, man was created on the sixth day and uh, obviously God rested on the seventh day. Seventh is a, a figure of fullness, whereas six uh, is a number of incompletion. Now, there's been many experts that have looked at this and some of them wondered whether the name Nero came back out of that figure, um, which you could make a case for. But um, the, the, the most simplest explanation is that six just falls short of seven. And there's a trinity of sixes, just like there is an unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth that's depicted. And Satan is revealed for what he is. He's a counterfeit. He's not the real deal. He falls short. And the way that we can see that is by the start of chapter 14, where we can read 14 verse 1. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. You see the image changes and now we're not looking at earth. We are now looking at heaven. And there is the lamb that we've been introduced to in chapter five that represents Jesus standing on Mount Zion. And that is the mountain of God uh, in heaven where his rule is depicted forever. And then we can see that 144,000 that we were introduced to earlier in chapter seven that represent the people who stay true to God and stand firm and stand before his throne. They are sealed with the mark of God, the seal of God. And they're standing before the throne. They're singing a new song. And they are the ones uh, who are described as the ones who stayed pure. They were sexually pure. And then it says that no lie was found in their mouths. They were blameless. These are the people who stayed true. Now, you see, there's some contrasting images at play here because the people in chapter 14 are suffering and dying under the persecution of the beast, those who try to stay true to God. But here they're standing before God's throne, flourishing, singing. They stay true and they stay pure. And the readers of Revelation back in the first century would have understood what was meant because there was a real temptation for them to follow after the religion of the empire. To uh, Every day their lives were filled uh, as people went to work and business and there was uh, offerings to idols, there was temptations, uh, sexual temptations by prostitutes at some of the temples. Uh, this was real, but these are the people who stayed true. These are the people who stayed true to the end. And then we can see three angels announcing the eternal gospel. First angel announces worship. The second one announces uh, defeat to the kingdom of darkness. And the final one announces judgment. And then we can see that a harvest is being pulled in. And this is very graphic language. First, there's a harvest of the righteous. Uh, and then we can see uh, there's a harvest of uh, the unrighteous. Now, there's almost two contrasting harvests. It doesn't say specifically, but from other contexts in the New Testament, we can read that the wheat harvest 
uh, that Jesus uses in some of his language is the first harvest, the harvest of the righteous who will be with God forever. And then we can see the second harvest is the harvest of the grapes. Uh, and now there's a contrasting image at play here. Uh, if we look at uh, the harvest of wheat, it looks like it's shriveling and dying, but it's actually ripening in the end stage. Whereas uh, grapes seem to be uh, lush with life and, and fullness uh, as they come to fruition. But at the end of days, we can see that the harvest of the righteous uh, will last forever, whereas the harvest of the wicked will be thrown, it says in verse um, 19, into the great winepress of God's wrath, for they are trampled in the winepress outside the city. Very contrasting images. Now, there's a lot going on here. What is it that we can learn from this and apply into our lives? Well, first of all, there's real um, reception needed to understand what's at play in this world. So often we go about our days and we don't understand the powers at play that are seeking uh, to, to make war for our souls. We need to understand that we have an enemy and that we have a saviour. And these two are head to head most days. Satan is trying to try and take us uh, his way. He's trying to lure us away from God. Uh, and say, and uh, Jesus is seeking to help us to stay true. Now, so often we are unaware about these things. In the West, we have a tendency to under-spiritualize things. Some areas of uh, the world people over-spiritualize things. But in the West, we often under-spiritualize things. We underestimate the power that Satan has in our lives. Uh, Alina, my daughter, had a dream last night and she told me this morning that she uh, saw uh, in her dream Satan throwing presents from the sky to us, but she knew that she couldn't trust him and she tried to protect the people around them. I thought that was such an amazing revelation that Jesus just gave her in a dream, but it's really what's going on. He's trying to lure us away and he does it either through intimidation, like the first beast with all his power and authority, trying to uh, power us into, into fear, or he does it like the second beast through deception. He's trying to deceive us. Now, for us, there are plenty of things going around that cause fear into our lives, um, but we are not to buckle under these things. God has not given us a spirit of fear, uh, but a, a spirit of sonship, and therefore we do not have to fear these things. When it comes to deception, we need to learn to understand how Satan is using very subtle ways to try and sow seeds of deception in our lives. And it comes to us in all sorts of forms. Uh, one of the things I've noticed watching uh, films with my kids is that even within these uh, almost harmless things, so Satan is sowing seeds about what afterlife uh, is like, what spirituality is like. And there are films about magic and, 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 and often we can see other dark things like uh, with Halloween zombies and vampires and, and magic. It, it's almost like a blurring of the lines of like uh, helping people to misunderstand what real spiritual power looks like in this world. Uh, sometimes it's just very deceptive using other means. So, uh, uh, for example, Facebook. Seems like a, a community kind of thing, doesn't it? However, research is showing that the more time people spend on Facebook, uh, the less happy they get, the more depressed they get. It's almost like a counterfeit community. It almost promises the real deal, but it's not. 
And uh, through all these means, Satan is trying to isolate us, trying to deceive us, to intimidate us. He's trying to blur the lines. And we are called in these chapters to faithful endurance instead. It says this a couple of times. Uh, first, it says it in chapter 13, and then it says it uh, in chapter 14, uh, where it says that we are called to faithful endurance. These things are, are being called to faithful endurance. Uh, it says in chapter 14, verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, how do we stay faithful to Jesus? Well, it's by recalibrating our senses, uh, by looking at Jesus. When we introduce in chapter 14 to the Lamb who stands on Mount Zion, we are reminded that he is the one who truly reigns. He is the real deal. Now, if you want to recognize a counterfeit, you need to know what the real deal looks like. And the way that we get to know what the real deal looks like in our everyday life is to look to Jesus. Now I want to encourage you, are you spending time with Jesus every day? Are you recalibrating your senses so you're not lured away, you're not intimidated? Uh, sometimes all that Satan needs to do is just try to make us busy and distracted by watching Netflix and episodes and lots of fun stuff. And then we just don't get to spend time with Jesus. Uh, these are just ways of luring, enticing us away. They seem to be like nice things, but they're not and uh, to help us understand this importance of this endurance, uh, God shows us in these chapters the outcome of the choices that we make. We see there's a fork in the road and we can see that the, the destination is different. You see, Satan's trying just to get you a few degrees off course, just to kind of give in to that little chat online that you know you quite shouldn't or look at that little thing that you know you shouldn't. Um, and what's happening is he's just trying to bend you just a few degrees off course, but the end destination is in great contrast to where Jesus wants to lead you. The end destination where Satan is trying to lead us is to internal judgment, being trampled underfoot uh, like the, 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 the grape harvest. Where is Jesus trying to lead us? He's trying to lead us into eternal salvation, to rest. Now, in chapter 14, it depicts the ones that are going after Satan as the, one who, the ones who will not find rest. The ones who can never find rest. You see, you might have everything in this life that you think you need, but without Jesus, you will not be able to find rest for eternity. But those who suffer and are even put to death, as it says here, are the ones who will find rest forever. I mean, that's a wonderful, amazing promise that we are given rest forever. Now, these are very important truths that Jesus wants to show us. You see, the, the chapter in chapter 14 ends with um, the grapes being trampled uh, outside the city in the great wine press of God's wrath. Now, does that sound like something you've heard before? You see, Jesus was the one who died outside the city walls, outside of the city of Jerusalem. He hung on a cross and he bled and he died for us. You see, God does not want us to be restless and facing judgment forever. He wants us to enter into his rest and to be saved. That's why his son was crushed on our behalf. That's how much God loves us. That's the, the lamb who was slain, who conquers. And he is the real deal. 
He wants to bring you into eternity uh, like the 144,000 standing before his throne, singing a new song of joy, happiness and rest forever. Now, let me encourage you, if you have not made that step before, I want to encourage you to do it now. Um, God is showing you where these roads will end. He's showing you the forces are at play today and he wants you to choose the real deal. Although things may look deceptive in life, I want to encourage you, don't let today go past without choosing eternal rest with Jesus. Turn away from things that are not good. Ask God's forgiveness and ask him to come into your life. If you have done, make sure that you continue to stay faithful, faithful endurance. Jesus is the real deal. You see, the beast is the image of the dragon in a hideous kind of way, but Jesus is the image of God himself. The beast has got 10 crowns, but Jesus has many crowns. The beast has blasphemous names where Jesus has names of worthiness. Uh, we can see that the beast wars against the people of God, but Jesus makes war against Satan. We can see that the beast is healed of a fatal wound, but Jesus truly died and was raised again. We can see that the dragon um, uh, is given um, the beast power and a throne and authority, but Jesus has received power, a throne and authority forever from the Father. Jesus is the real deal. Amen. Thank you, Valter. Jesus is real, the real deal. King Jesus, we uh, celebrate all that you are. We celebrate the real Jesus, not settling for a counterfeit God, not settling for something that, that can never satisfy, not settling for something that wants to harm us, but uh, instead you're the, the real King of Kings, the real Lord of Lords, the one in whom our hope can rest, the one in whom we can cast all of our anxieties upon, the one in whom we can trust uh, to our our very core, the one in whom brings us strength and wants good for us. Father, we celebrate that Jesus uh, together today. We celebrate the way in which we've we've seen that demonstrated today with new life, your salvation at work in people's lives, and we give you thanks together as a community. With all of this weirdness and all of this strain around us, we say, uh, as a as a family together, we want to cast ourselves afresh on you, put our hope freshly in you, be strengthened afresh in knowing the real Jesus. What a wonderful King we have. Amen. We'll see you again very soon. Have a wonderful week.